Greetings, Ragbag Alliance. Please consider supporting this podcast by buying one or more of my books, A History of Sarcasm, 100 and Everything I Am. Even if you've read them all already, buy them for someone else and spread the word. They're really good books. All the details at frankburton.co.uk. If you fancy getting something else free of charge, I highly recommend the Ragbag Rambler video series. It really is one of the best things I've ever done. If you like this podcast, you would definitely like the Ragbag Rambler. Again, the only place you can see these videos is at frankburton.co.uk. I'm not on social media. I'm not on YouTube. This is all pretty much all under the radar and I think that's a good thing. I think this is like our little secret. But also, if you could tell everyone that you know about it, that too would be great. Cheers. Welcome to Rag Bag. My name's Frank Burton. More marvellous shenanigans for you this week. Great music, the next instalment of The Man Who Gets Things Wrong, and my special guest, the one you have all been waiting for. It's been a while. Uncle Claude is on the show. Yeah, so Uncle Claude has been self-isolating for the last few months. I've now welcomed him into my support bubble. Is that what it's called? Interesting. Anyway, he's occupying the guest spot this week. Here's one of the things he's going to be saying to me. I'll go along with that, yeah. Yeah, I quite like that song of theirs. What was it? You don't have to say you love me. You don't have to say it every day. You don't have to say you love me, baby. It's alright. Because, honey, I don't care. Now, shout out to all the people who've asked, have they caught Sycamore Steve yet? I don't know. Check the police website, I suppose. I don't bear a grudge against Steve. I know he's tried to kill me and almost succeeded, but he only did that once. I said this to the police. I said, I don't actually want to press charges. Why don't we forget the whole thing? Apparently, that's not how it works with attempted murder cases. You learn something new every day, don't you? Apart from last Tuesday. You know... I didn't learn anything for the whole day. You know what happened? It was five minutes to midnight. I looked at my watch and I thought to myself, I haven't learned anything today. If I've learned one thing is that the expression, you learn something new every day, isn't always accurate. Hang on, that means I've learned something, which means the expression may well be accurate, in which case I haven't learned anything. In which case, the expression isn't accurate. I went on like this for five whole minutes. By the time I'd managed to put the whole thing down as a grey area, the next day had started. And I learned something that day. Tell you what I learned. I learned that the United Kingdom has the longest name of any country on earth. Yeah, because it's called 
the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm thinking of calling it that all the time. No abbreviations. A total stranger came up to me in the street and told me that. It was as though he could sense that I hadn't learned anything for almost 48 hours. That will probably explain why he told me another fact, just to keep me topped up. He said, you know that Sidney Poitier is still alive? You don't see much of him nowadays, but he's still going. 93 years old. Makes you think. I was talking about Sycamore Steve, wasn't I? And I got distracted. Almost as though I didn't want to talk about him. Yeah, Sycamore Steve. Stephen Schiffer. I wonder where he is. Yeah, (laughs) on the run. Definitely on the run. From the cops, the law on his trail. Sycamore Steve. Look, I'll be honest with you, listeners. I do know where Steve is. I tracked him down. He's apologised for his behaviour. I hope the police aren't listening to this. I'll probably get into trouble for aiding a betting or something or other. There's documented evidence of our communications, including Steve's whereabouts, but... You know that I am sitting on some material evidence and I am a material witness. (laughs) Not really, but... If you're listening, Mr. and Mrs. Law Enforcement, I will say, what is quite funny about this whole thing is Steve is hiding in plain sight, okay? He's working as an ice cream man, for God's sake. You know, I probably said too much. Ignore me, officer. Oh, yeah. 
Right, let's get going with the next chapter. Chapter 3 of The Man Who Gets Things Wrong, the new novel by myself, Frank Burton. The first in a whole series of The Man Who Gets Things Wrong books. Only a matter of time before the big Hollywood adaptation. I've already pitched it to Benedict Cumberbatch. He's given me a firm thumbs up that he will play the title role in any movie adaptations, pending approval of the script, etc. I'm like, hang on a minute, mate. I haven't even written the book yet, never mind the adaptation. And he said, well, why are you pitching it to me then? I said, okay, good point. Sorry for calling you in the middle of the night. Again. So, chapter three. Now, if you happen to be a (coughs) casual listener who hasn't necessarily heard the last two episodes, welcome on board. Welcome to the Ragbag Alliance. That's the name for the listeners for this show. You've arrived to the party a little bit late, but that's cool. The party's just getting started. The deal here is this. I'm reading out chapters of this book that I'm writing, and I'm kind of deliberately keeping it as a rough draft, because this is supposed to be a kind of masterclass in novel writing. This is how it's done. So in the first chapter, I introduced the principal character. His name is The Man Who Gets Things Wrong, so he probably doesn't need much more introduction at this stage. Chapter 1, he loses his job as a primary school teacher. Chapter 2, he somehow managed to get a foot in the door at a job interview for the creative director of a FTSE 100 company, despite having no relevant qualifications or experience. And the chapter ends in quite an interesting way. He starts walking on his hands and going off on one about how he's a wild card candidate. And that's what makes him better than the rest. And the guy who's interviewing him, it's not really an interview, it's more of a pre-interview. But anyway, the guy who's interviewing him, who's been very hostile towards him up until this point, says, How did you learn to walk on your hands like that? And the man who gets things wrong says, I'm glad you asked me that question. It's an interesting story. Now, because the chapter has ended with those words, perhaps you'd expect chapter three to begin with the story of how the man who gets things wrong learned to walk on his hands. But it doesn't. As a matter of fact, I don't intend to reveal that information. I want to keep that a closely guarded secret. And then, uh, you know book signings and chat show appearances, stuff like that. People will be asking me, oh, you kept us hanging with that one, didn't you? Perhaps you might like to reveal now how the man who gets things wrong learnt to walk on his hands. And I'll just say, maybe it'll be in the next book. You'll have to wait and see. It's always good to leave some questions unanswered. That's all I'm saying. The real reason I'm not going to answer that question is that it's not relevant. The point about the guy asking the question is, now he's interested in the man who gets things wrong. He wants to know his stories. And now that he's interested, good things are going to happen. So we're pressing ahead, guys. We're keeping the pace up. Get on with it, Frank. That's what I mean. We're getting on with it. We get the point. 
Exactly, we're getting straight to the point. End of chapter 2, guy in job interview shows a bit of interest. Chapter 3, boom, he's got the job. There are many other examples of how this kind of trick can be pulled off, like in a love story, for example. Chapter 2, their eyes meet across a crowded room. End of chapter, beginning of chapter 3, boom, they're expecting their second child. Science fiction, chapter 2, a scientist idly jots down some diagrams in a notebook about the creation of a theoretical device that could destroy the entire universe. Beginning of chapter 3, boom, quite literally, end of the universe. That was a short book. You see, sometimes the pace can end up being a little bit too fast. But I think with this book, this book of mine, The Man Who Gets Things Wrong, one thing I will say is I think we've got the pace spot on so far. Absolutely spot on. Some of the fine details going to need a bit of work. And the other point to make is, I will get round to reading out chapter 3 in a moment, but this is an important point. The idea for chapter 2 was that he was going to go for a job interview for a job he wasn't qualified for, and he was going to argue that he should get the job because he's not qualified for it, and then he's going to get the job. And I thought, yeah, probably the best way of doing that is to have the interviewer be sceptical at first, but then he somehow manages to win him over by walking on his hands or something like that. But then I thought, hang on a minute, for a job like this, top-level position in a major company, there'd be a panel, right? Or maybe there wouldn't be a panel. I don't know. I'm not part of that world. Maybe they just do it all on the golf course, like they do in the movies. You want to be creative director at blah, blah, blah company? Sure, sounds good. I'll have to round things off at blah, blah, blah with the blah, blah. And the blah, blah, and the shares, and the marketing, and the blah. I have absolutely no idea how these companies operate at that kind of level. I do a podcast and I live in a van. How could I possibly know how company directors get recruited? But luckily, and here's another one of those tricks of the trade listeners. Check this out. This is golden stuff, right? Absolute gold. Nobody else knows either, right? Nobody else knows. Literally less than 99% of the population have any direct personal experience of the recruitment of company directors. How does it work? No one really knows. It's not common knowledge. I'm going to burst one of your bubbles now, listeners. I am. I'm going to burst one of your bubbles. You know what fiction writers do when they come across something that isn't common knowledge? They just make it up. <laughs> That's why they're called fiction writers. Because they make things up. That is their actual job. And that's what makes it all okay, all this nonsense, I suppose. It's not real in the first place, so who cares? But you know what? The interesting thing here is that it's only okay if it sounds plausible. That's why I had to come up with this idea of the pre-interview conversation, because the scene works better if the man who gets things wrong 
makes his little speech and walks on his hands in front of one person rather than a whole panel of people. It would just be too confusing if he's talking to four or five people. Who's saying what? Who's this guy? Having to introduce four or five incidental characters all sitting in a line taking notes is much better having one person do the interview, which isn't plausible in itself, hence the idea of it being a pre-interview. But the interesting thing is... I don't make a big thing about it being a pre-interview. I treat it as though this is the actual interview. So when the reader summarises the plot to themselves in their head later on, because they're not going to read the whole thing in one go, I know I'm good, but I'm aware that not everyone has that kind of time on their hands. You have to at least eat a meal at some point. So when the reader opens their book again, and it's bookmarked at chapter 3, they refer to the summary of the book that's in their head. This isn't like an official summary that I've written for them. This is their own summary based on what they've digested from the book so far. And when they refer to that summary in their head, the summary will say, yeah, chapter 1 loses his job as a primary school teacher, and in chapter 2 he attends a job interview for a top job in a major company. And that's all fine. We've got away with it because of this plausibility thing. Now, the interesting thing is, when I write the movie script, instead of it being a meeting with one guy in a room, the scene would be better as an actual interview panel with four or five people lined up watching him. You can introduce characters on screen much easier than you can in books. All you have to do is point a camera at them and the audience can see who they are, and they get an idea of who they are based on how they look. In a book, you have to say, well, there was this one woman, she was wearing a business suit of some kind, and she had a notebook with her, and she had a serious look on her face, really serious, like she was concentrating really hard on something, and in one of her lapels, there was a badge for a charity of some kind, but she put it on upside down, I could tell you her name, but you're not going to remember it. It'll be too confusing with all these other people, so we'll just call her Upside Down Charity Badge Woman. And next to her was a man in a yellow shirt. And so it would go on for ages and ages, until you lose track of what book you were reading in the first place. This is what I'm saying about pace. Sometimes you just have to rattle through as quick as you can, And one easy way of doing that is to have as few characters as possible so you don't have to get to know anyone who might not be important later. Imagine if life was like that, by the way. Seriously, imagine that. How easy would life be if all the peripheral stuff was just chopped right out? But in the movie adaptation, it's a totally different scene. The man who gets things wrong sits there in front of a panel of five different people. And with everything he does, every weird comment he offers, every single thing he gets wrong, we see five different reactions, five different sets of raised eyebrows. And when he gets up and walks on his hands, you see five different people reacting to it in five different ways simultaneously. That's the sort of thing that works well in a film 
but not in a book. You see, this really is a masterclass, isn't it? Really is. The other plus point of the movie adaptation will, of course, be the casting. Bear in mind, Benedict has at the very least agreed in principle to play this role. And who wouldn't like to see Benedict walking on his hands? He probably can't do it. We'd probably have to get a circus performer in. But they'd have to be the same height as him. And how tall is he? Like like seven foot or something? Let's Google it, listeners. Bear with me. How tall is Benedict Cumberbatch? Let's have a look. Uh, 1.83 metres. That means absolutely nothing to me. Let's do a quick conversion on that. Feet and inches. No, that makes him six feet tall. So he's the same height as me. Why do I always think he's taller than me? Has he been wearing stilts this whole time? Or have I just been sat down and he's been stood up? That's weird. He's like an optical illusion. What's this article here? 20 things you didn't know about Benedict Cumberbatch. Didn't know. That would imply that I already know the facts that I'm about to read in the article, but I didn't know them in the past. Let's see if I actually know any of these things. Here's the first one. Benedict's eyes change colour. He has a condition called heterochromia iridis, which means his eyes can alternate between blue and green. Haven't noticed that, but then I suppose he's so tall, isn't he? You wouldn't get a clear view of his eyes from all the way up there on the ceiling, giant of a man. What's next? It's... What? Oh, my God. Oh. Oh, this has put me in a bit of a tight spot. I don't know whether I should read this out. I really don't. No, I really don't think I should read this out. But then, if I don't read it out, that makes me somehow... that That's not going to reflect well. If I've read this, and there's a recording of me reading it right here. If I've read this, and I don't read it out, this is going to bite me right on the behind, listeners. It really is. What the hell... Let me read this out. Okay. Um, uh, should I? Should I say it? I don't know. Well, what I'll do is I'll I'll read it out and then maybe I'll check with the lawyers and stuff and they might have to take this out. But um, I'm going to read it out. Okay. What the hell? Benedict's parents, both actors themselves, tried to discourage their son from working professionally under the name Cumberbatch because historically the Cumberbatch family were slave owners. Benedict Cumberbatch would like to formally apologise for his family's involvement in the slave trade. I'm sure he's done that already. If he hasn't, I will personally make sure that he does. Jesus H. Christ. That went a bit wrong, didn't it? 
I'm not upset with Benedict. It's not his fault coming from the family he comes from. And frankly, hats off to him for using his real name rather than brushing it under the carpet like, yeah, I'll call myself Benedict Smith. You know, from the Smith family, who definitely had no connection to slavery. I'm not suggesting he's proud of the name, but at least he's honest about the fact that it is his name. You know what I mean? Like I say, I'm not annoyed with Benedict. I'm annoyed with whoever it was who wrote this stupid article about, oh, here's some fun facts about Benedict Cumberbatch that you didn't know at some point in the past. Can't even write a grammatically accurate heading. And then they're like, yeah, hey guys, here's some fun facts about Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, fun facts. Oh yeah, his eyes changed colour because of a condition that he has. Yeah, fun facts. You bet you didn't know that. Yeah. Next fun fact. His ancestors were slave owners. Yeah, fun facts. You know what the next fun fact on the list is? Benedict actually can play the violin. That's good to know. Listen, I better get on the phone to Benedict and his PR team and and I'll tell them that I've said all these things about his family on the podcast. Hope that's okay with them. I know I was supposed to read out chapter three of The Man Who Gets Things Wrong, but I haven't got time anymore. We'll do that next week. Hey, let's take a rain check. <laughs> I said it, I said it, listeners. I said rain check. So there you go. <laughs> there's some there's some added value for you. Um, we'll take a rain check. Let's have a tune, listeners. Hold my hand as we go. Across the street in the dark Boxes labelled in green Arms and legs go inside
Now it's time for this week's guest. You may know him from Ragbag episode 25, the Uncle Claude takeover, or the bonus bag with the Alaskan pipeline, or Ragbag episode 29, Killing Lazarus part 1, or Ragbag episode 34, Return of the Claude, or Bonus Beef with a Pulling Teeth podcast, or Ragbag episode 42, The Roast of Everything, or Ragbag episode 46, The Roast of Everything part 2. You may have enjoyed his appearances in my book, Everything I Am, or even his brief appearance in my forthcoming book, Getting Away With It. Please welcome back onto the podcast, Uncle Claude. Uncle Claude, how are you doing? Well, I'm very well, thank you, Frank. It's very good, nice good, to uh, good. see you after all this time, and um, it's very nice to be a guest on your podcast after an extended absence. Yeah, it has been an extended absence, hasn't it? I suppose because of this whole lockdown situation lockdown, and your yeah, um, being in the, how should we say, the, the uh, what do you call it, the vulnerable, the vulnerable category, yeah, I'm in the vulnerable, I'm over 70 now, you know. Yeah, yeah, so you're in the vulnerable you're in a vulnerable category. It's a mouthful, that, isn't it? Especially well, if you're in a, a vulnerable, mouthful, category. Yeah, vulnerable <laughs> category. I can't say it, mate. I can't. Vulnerable. <laughs> vulnerable category. What is wrong? Can, can you not speak? No, I, I'm, I'm having a bit of trouble with it at the moment. Vulnerable category. There you go, I said it. Anyway, welcome to the show. You're my interview guest now. Interview guest? Under this new format, I have an interview guest in the second half of the show, and uh, this week, that is you. Yeah, I don't really know what you're going to ask me, Frank. I mean, I'm not a, uh, a musician or an artist or anything oh, like you that. you don't have so, to be uh, that. You pretty much know all the details of my life, as far as I know. Yeah, well, you'd be surprised at all the things that I don't know. Maybe we can uncover some stuff. Like, uh, I mean, what have you been up to the last sort of three or four months? Well, I've been in lockdown, haven't I? What sort of things have you been doing? Sitting in my house. Uh, what have you been doing while you've been sat in your house? Mostly uh, pottering around. You know, I like a good potter, Frank. You like a good potter? Potter, yeah. A yeah, good potter. Harry. A good potter. You know what I mean? A little potter around the house. That's what I like to do. Just potter. You know. How how does one go about pottering? What what is pot? Is that just walk walking? Is that is that what pottering is? Yeah, walking. Yeah. I mean, I like to take a, a stroll through the city. Yeah, you know what I mean, but I'm that, in this yeah. vulnerable category, so. I had to stay indoors and get my shopping delivered to me and all that sort of thing. So uh, I pottered instead of walked. Pottered around the house. It was it was all right actually. Yeah, I did, had a little pedometer going on and uh, I actually made it to uh, at least twenty thousand steps a day, which is more than I would usually do. Ah, twenty thousand. That's not too bad. I'm I'm more of a more of a ten thousand man myself. 10, so you've doubled my record. Well done. You see, I'm learning new things about you here, aren't I? Well, I've been listening to a few uh, podcasts. Oh, right. <laughs> have, you been, have you been listening to this one? Yeah, I've been listening to this one, yeah. Like I say, I, I enjoy the new format. And, uh, you know, obviously a fan of uh, Scroobius Pip and Amateur. Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre. I enjoy that Amateur. very much. And uh, Adam Buxton, Another all Amateur. the greats. 
Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, well, they've got a lot more listeners than I have, but uh, you know, I'm glad that you're staying loyal to your to your bloodline. Bloodline, <laughs> bloodline. Whatever, whatever I mean by that, I don't know what I mean by that. What does bloodline mean? Is that is well, if I was your father, I suppose you would be my direct descendant, and therefore you would be part of my bloodline. Well, my father is your brother, so it's the same difference, isn't it? It's all it's all genetics. Can we not be said to be part of the same bloodline? Well, I suppose we could do, yeah. I haven't really thought about it that way. Yeah, well, there you go, yeah. Yeah, we're learning... Th- well, we're not learning things at all. We, we, neither of us have a clue about any of this stuff, do we? No, no, we don't. But uh, it's interesting to sort of uh, discuss these little semantic things that come up, isn't it, really? You know. I also had a number of other questions for you as well. I've got some ideas to run by you. you know, have you been listening? You've been listening to the podcast, haven't you? Yeah, I have been listening to the podcast, yeah. So you know that recently I've had uh, quite a bunch of, uh, you know, different ideas. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit confused about some of your ideas, actually, Frank, because um, I can never quite tell if you're joking or if you're being serious. With what? What do you mean, my ideas? Yeah, we, some of your ideas are a little bit wild, shall we say. Um, using reverse psychology to sell chocolate bars, things of that nature. I'm just not sure if that's... A serious business proposal of yours, or, or if you're making some kind of joke. I don't know. D- did you laugh when you heard it? No, I was confused. Right, so it's not a joke then, is it? Not necessarily. If you didn't laugh, it'd be a joke if you laughed. Uh, maybe it'd be a joke that that fell flat, perhaps. So you, you don't being, you know, laughing at something doesn't make it a joke. I could laugh at any at any number of things. I could laugh about COVID nineteen doesn't make COVID-19 a joke, does it? Well, um, it'd be nice if it was, but it's not. A, it's a serious subject. I know. It's a ser- I'm trying to avoid it at all costs. I'm trying to avoid People the keep disease. talking about it. I'm trying to avoid, trying to avoid the subject. But um, you know, well, it's already come up in this conversation. It's pretty much all we've talked about for the last five minutes. Well, let's not talk about COVID-19 anymore. I don't want to hear any more about it. I've got some ideas for you, okay, and you can make up your own mind whether I'm joking or whether I'm being serious. It's, I, I like to, I'm not even going to answer the question. I'm going to remain aloof. You're going to remain aloof? Yeah, I'm going to remain aloof. So here's the first one. Major idea this. See what you think of this. Fire away. Sniffer dogs for white collar crime. They can smell corruption. Well, how would that work though, Frank? Well, you know, oh really? If corruption has a smell, maybe it does, maybe I it doesn't, but it if does. it does, you could have one corrupt person as like the thing that the dogs smell before they go and smell out some other corruption. It's very very straightforward. It's the same principle behind this as it is behind, you know, sniffing out drugs. Just that, hey, have a sniff of this guy, this corrupt fella. He's maybe maybe he's he's made like a special plea deal or something. Well, he's made a plea deal to get deal, into yeah. this position because he's corrupt. Right. Okay. And then the dogs sniff him. If he smells like the other corrupt guy, that means the other okay. corrupt guy is another corrupt guy. It's right, exactly the same, the same principle. Way. I don't see why you have this issue with it. It's not an issue. I'm just asking for clarification as to how it would actually work. Well, that is how it would work. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, I'm wondering if um, a sniffer dog could smell other forms of deceit. 
And you could basically use them as a kind of lie detector. Exactly, yeah. You could use them in court to sniff out perjury. Yeah. Things of that nature. Yeah, to have a little dog in court. Yeah, what a good idea. This is excellent. We're, we're cooking on gas here, man. Now, uh, I've got an idea for a new character. Here, uh, yeah, I've been meaning to ask you about these characters as well, Frank. I'm, I'm just wondering about this, this man who gets things wrong. Is, is that a joke as well, or is this a serious novel idea that you've got? Why would you even say that? This is a serious book that I'm writing, Claude. He does have a right name. It's a, it's a book about a man who gets things wrong. His name happens to be the man who gets things wrong. It's a very simple concept. It, it just seems like uh, I can't figure out whether it's a parody of other people's books or whether it's a serious book. I'm 100% serious about this. I'm going to win some major awards for this. Okay, I was just wondering, that's all. But I have got an idea for a comedy character. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah, I would like to hear about it, yes. So he's got a catchphrase, right? Um, his catchphrase, he's got a silly voice. Silly okay? voice, right? Got a silly voice. Silly voice. He's like an annoying bloke. Annoying and he bloke. Kind of, he's a bit like the man who gets things wrong. He can't get anything right, basically. And he's got an annoying voice. People don't really like him. And he keeps volunteering for things. And nobody wants him to be their volunteer. And his catchphrase is, I'm available. So imagine they're like casting for a Hollywood film or something. Hollywood film, and okay. The casting agents there and this annoying bloke kind of sat in the corner of their office and won't leave him alone. And he's going like, well, we need a, a leading man for this new movie that's going to be a, a huge uh, prestige picture and we're going to go for the Oscar nomination and all that sort of thing. Who should we cast in this part? Should we go for Leonardo DiCaprio or Tom Hanks or Robert Downey Jr.? And he goes, I'm available. Anyone, anyone at all, please. Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I don't know. Will Smith, Jack Nicholson, Kirk Denzel Kirk. Washington. I'm available. And then eventually they'll, they'll just cast him in the role because he won't leave them alone. And then he'll, he'll, he'll screw it up, won't he? He'll make a mess of the whole thing. And he won't get the Oscar. Okay, yeah, that sounds interesting, Frank, yeah. Try it, try it yourself. Try try and do a little improv like I just did. What, what kind of improv, what do you mean? Well, just imagine, imagine you're doing it. Be a guy. You be a guy and I'll be the annoying guy. Let, let's just play off each other a little bit, yeah? Okay, well, uh, we're looking for a, um, I don't know, a speaker for this great uh, scientific convention like of it, some yeah, kind, which is going to be happening in, uh, I don't know, sometime in the next 12 months. 2021. We're looking for a great scientist to speak at this convention. Well, it could be anyone at all. It could be um, Tim Berners-Lee. I'm available. It could be uh, Elizabeth Blackburn. I'm available. Anyone. Anyone at all. Apart from this bloke in the corner saying, I'm available. It could be, I don't know, Noam Chomsky. I'm available. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. It could be James Watson. I'm available. <laughs> Frank, does this bloke have some sort of mental disorder? I'm just wondering. Some sort of learning disability? Oh, nice one. Thanks. What? Oh. What's the matter? What are you thanking me for? Oh, it seems obvious now, doesn't it? He does have a few things wrong with him, doesn't he? And we're, we're mocking him. That's not very nice, is it? Oh, I'm going to have to... Well, I, I suppose I had better thank you, Claude. Thank you no for problem. that. No problem. I'm here to help. Don't mind me. Just bear with me a second. What are you doing? 
I'm cancelling the t-shirt order is what I'm doing. I've ordered 5,000 of these t-shirts with the words I'm available written on it. Hashtag ragbag. <laughs> I thought that would be a good idea. This was going to be the basis of, you know, my whole life for the next five years. This character, this I'm available bloke. What's the hashtag again? I was going to, but, you know, now you, you put the kibosh on it. But I appreciate you doing that because it will have blown right up in my face, that one. So I, I appreciate what you've done for me. Well, thank you. I'm here to help. Next. Right, well, next there's an idea for a video game. It's called On Tour with Transmission Vamp. And you uh, basically it's like a kind of a role-playing type thing. You, uh, it's like an experience, you know. You get to go on... It's set in the 1980s. And you get to go on tour with the band Transmission Vamp. Maybe we could get some like real footage from around that time that maybe Transmission Vamp took when they were on tour. I don't know very much about Transmission Vamp, to be honest with you. I just picked the name at random. But I think, you know, in hindsight, I think that was the best name to go for. And it will be a brilliant 1980s style video game using actual footage from the 1980s. I used to quite like Transmission Vamp. Yeah, well, there you go. I've got my first customer, haven't I? My first customer, you can uh, download my game well, we'll have to figure uh, out on tour to work with Transmission Vamp and relive the glory days of being on tour with Transmission Vamp. Yeah, I quite like the sound of that, Frank. I mean, what sort of things would you do while you were on tour with Transmission Vamp? Don't know. <laughs> just follow them around. I, just thought, I, I haven't thought this through, really. Maybe they stayed in some nice hotels and stuff. I don't know how big they were, really. Yeah, some big hits, uh, actually. Maybe they were in a tour. Either they were in a tour bus... Or in which case it's just like sort of sitting in a bus and then going to some sort of venues and then sort of playing the show and then going back to the bus again. Reality of On rock paper, and it doesn't sound very exciting, but we can make it exciting. Maybe there's a few like, it's a game, isn't it? It's like, there's going to be like obstacles to overcome and things like that. Things to collect on the way. Maybe make it like proper retro, like you've got to collect sort of nostalgic things like sweets from the 1980s and stuff like that it'll appeal to people who like that sort of thing people who like so people who go on about oh do you remember this from the 80s people who like that they'll absolutely lap this up on tour with transmission vamp well uh, yeah i'll go along with that yeah I, I, yeah i quite like that song of theirs what was it uh, you don't have to say you love me you don't have to say it every day uh, you don't have to say you love me, baby, it's all right. Because, honey, I don't care. Yeah, it was good, that. Yeah, nice little rendition. You're welcome. Um, so, tell you what, while we're on a roll here, man, another idea for a character is based directly on a man I met in a pub once. I haven't got a name for him yet. He just had this habit of misquoting famous people. So what he'll do is he'll proceed the quote by explaining to you who the person he's quoting is, but he describes him really badly. Like, you know, Oscar Wilde said, you know Oscar Wilde, right? Norwegian fellow with a fancy jacket. Oscar Wilde said, to lose one parent is unfortunate. To lose two parents seems like a double bereavement. <laughs> 
Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela said, you remember Nelson Mandela, rugby fan who did well for himself. <laughs> Nelson Mandela said, there is no greater freedom than that feeling when you've successfully broken in a new pair of trainers. <laughs> so what, what do you think of that? Is that good? Yeah, I, I've met plenty of people like that in my time. Yeah, yeah, people who don't really know what they're talking about. Why are you looking at me when you say that? No, I was looking at you because I was talking to you about people who don't know things. As long as you're not suggesting that I'm one of those people. Well, of course, I wouldn't be suggesting that, Frank. You've got a very successful man. You've got a successful podcast. Not as successful as some of the ones that you like, though. Well, yeah, that's fine. But you, you can um, build an audience for these things, can't you? You know, you're using a lot of these nice ideas of yours. And I, I appreciate all the things that you do. Uh, I've uh, very much enjoyed the guests that you have had on over the last few weeks. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, some of the other ones that you might be having in the future. Yeah, well, so am I, as a matter of fact, yeah. Just one more idea for you, all right? Hide and seek as an Olympic sport. Oh, you have really saved the best till last, Frank. I have to say, I agree. that I agree. is an amazing idea. How did you think of that? Well, I was watching the Olympics and I was thinking about hide and seek, the game. And I was thinking... Why don't we combine those two things? Exactly. <laughs> combine the two this, ideas. This is, this is where ideas come from, isn't it? I don't yeah. know. I wasn't yeah. even watching the Olympics. I was thinking about the game hide and seek. And wouldn't it be fun to play it as as an adult? You know what I mean? Because I haven't played it as an adult. And I think if I played it, I could recapture some of my childhood somehow. Are you offering me a game? Well, no, we can't play it now because we're in a van. And uh, there's very few places to hide. But it's just the principle of the matter, you know. Yeah, I uh, do. I like the idea of recapturing your youth. And also, I think the actual game, when it comes down to it, if you had a group of, of proper grown-ups, professional athletes... Yeah, I'll make some notes ...competing here, in some kind of hide-and-seek tournament, whether that is an Olympic sport or whether it's another kind of ranking event... I would be very much up for that, both as a spectator and as a participant. As a spectator and as a participant. <laughs> I like that. That kind of implies that everyone can join in. Yeah, the everyone entire can join in, yeah. I mean, you could fill up a whole stadium of people and everyone is a participant in the sport. Everyone gets to hide. I mean, most people are probably just hide under the seats or something. But maybe in the middle of the stadium, there'd be a bunch of stuff and you'd have to... I mean, you couldn't have thousands of people hiding at once and just having one person find them. You'd have to stop some kind of turn-taking thing. But I do like these, the idea of it being democratised in some way. Not having elite sports people do it, but just having everyone piling in and having a laugh. It'd be like having, you know, a, a football game, but there's no professional players there. Everyone can just jump in on the pitch and just join in to the game. It doesn't have to be 11 a side. It could be, you know, a 1,000 a side. What, with only one ball? Okay, I haven't quite thought that one through, but the hide-and-seek thing is a good idea, yeah? Absolutely. You can, you know, you're going to have to do a bit of turn-taking. Everyone takes their turn to be, you know, involved in the game. But it could be a whole kind of process, you know, and everyone watches everybody else. Just what you said. What was the thing that you said? I don't know. The participants are also the audience. I think that's what I said. Yes. Well, th this is this is going to run and run, man. I mean, we're going to have to 
get rid of this social distance thing. <laughs> and then once that's gone, we'll be... I'm uh, sorry, I've, I've mentioned the uh, coronavirus again, didn't I? Yeah, well, the thing is, you can't really help but avoid it, can you? It's one of those things that just keeps coming up in conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, once we've got rid of it, you know, once there's a vaccine and all that sort of thing, we can have a mass event, thousands of people playing hide and seek in a stadium. That would be absolutely awesome. There'd be, yeah, a bunch of stuff in the middle of the stadium, stuff to hide in and stuff for people to, yeah, tunnels and that, for people to climb in and out. It would be a whole kind of, you know, tactile environment. Tactile environment, And it would yeah. be, yeah. It'd be fun for all the family. Well, I very much uh, look forward to joining you in this uh, endeavour. Are you actually going to do this, though, Frank, or is this just another one of your many other ideas that are just going to languish on the shelf? Well, I might write a letter to a sporting authority of some kind, and they can take it off me. I'm busy doing the podcast and writing books and that. Oh, I, I can't. understand, yeah. I haven't got the time. That's to devote to this idea. I'm, but I'm, I am an ideas man. You see, I come up with ideas, and I'm hoping that you know all the ideas that I've come up with. Eventually, someone is going to discover them via this podcast, and they are going to then put them all into some kind of action. Even the reverse psychology chocolate bars, which I do think is a genuinely good idea, but not as good as a hide and seek one or the transmission vamp one. I think those two are the best ideas I've ever had. Okay, well, um, I, I, I'm more for the hide-and-seek. I mean, I quite like the idea of the uh, transmission vamp video game. I'm sure you know what you're talking about, Frank. I do, I do. So I, um, I do wish you every success in that endeavour of yours. Thanks. That means a lot coming from you, a successful businessman. How is the business? Well, I've officially retired from it, Frank, but oh, um, I knew it, that. It's, it's going very well in my absence. I mean, I still own it, it's still mine, and uh, I'm still making money from it. I'm just not actively involved in the business anymore. Ah, good. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm glad that you didn't ask me to do it in the end. Take over, I mean. Well, I did ask you, you said no. Oh, right, yeah, I remember that now, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad that I said no. <laughs> I'm glad that I said no, because I'd be, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be the CEO of a lock company. I'd be bored to tears. But I mean, I'm not I'm not trashing your idea of the lock company in the first place. Obviously you've yeah, done very well and it's your back through and through. your thing. Whereas this podcast thing is my thing. You see what I mean? Yeah, I do see what you mean. It's uh, horses for courses, as they say, yeah. And I I didn't take any great offence at you turning me down. I handed it over to a very capable young man who uh, I think is gonna be big in the locks game. Big in the locks game, eh? Well that's repeat, uh, that's in the high praise game. indeed. From the... <laughs> What's so funny? Nothing. <laughs> I, was I, was, I was trying to string a coherent sentence together and words failed me for a moment. Um, so there you go. What am I trying to say? I don't know. You know, I've been thinking recently, Frank, about the subject of um, nonsense in uh, pop lyrics. Nonsense in pop lyrics? What do you mean? A lot of um, nonsense lyrics, aren't there, out there? A lot of songs that don't make any sense, things like that. Um, the Crazy Frog, oh, uh, things that, about yeah. nature. And, um, yeah, I was just thinking that um, it's funny, that, isn't it, how that works? It's funny, isn't it, how there's these nonsense words that creep their way into songs. That 
And it's just acceptable. It's all part of popular culture. It's very strange. Yeah, it's quite strange. Yeah, but I think uh, with music, you can you're communicating in a different way, and obviously, you know, you can make sounds to sort of replicate the uh, sound of the instruments that are making the noises. You know, as as where the whole kind of scatting thing comes from, and all that. And in particular, was there was that song from um, from Greece at the end of Greece, where they're all singing, um, "We we go to." What is it? Um, yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're all we go together. But yeah, there are some proper words to that, I believe. Let me just have a look, look it all up here on the old um, telephonic device, uh, Uncle. Here we go. Um, oh yeah, yeah. There's proper lyrics to it. Look, we go together like Rama Lama Lama Kadinga Dadinga Dong. See, they're not real words, are they? <laughs> It's like it's um, it's difficult to learn. I mean, people sing along to it and they just go, but there's proper words to it. We go together like Rama Lama Lama Kadinga Da Dinga Dong, remembered forever as Shuwap Shawada Wada Yippity Boom Di Boom, Chang Chang Changadi Chang Shabop. That's the way it should be. Wow, yeah. It's difficult to learn. Imagine learning that. If you're doing the stage musical version of a song, that must be, be a difficult one to learn all those words. But yeah, I completely agree. Uh, just looking at it now, it's a blowing my mind. Absolutely blowing my mind. Let's have a look at it then. We go together like that's the way it should be. Whoa! Yeah! What of a kind, like or at the high school dance, where you can find romance. Maybe it might be love. We're for each other like my brother. Just like my brother is. We'll always be together. Yeah. Always be together. Always be together. You get the point. Always be together. 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 Always. Be together. Thank you for listening. Many thanks to Uncle Claude. I usually mention at this point that you can check out my guest's website in the show notes. Uncle Claude hasn't got one, so that saved me a job of copying and pasting the link. Yeah, I do it all myself, you know, it's a lot of unpaid work. Please consider supporting me and my lifestyle choices by buying all of my books from 
frankburton.co.uk. Cheers. Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. <laughs>